stuff. Hey, once again, thank you guys um, for partnering with us. It is just such a joy to be able to be used by God to be a blessing in someone's life like, like Jordan's there. So thank you for being a part of that journey with us, for celebrating with us. Um, good morning. Welcome to those who are here, those who are joining us online. If, you, if this is the first time joining us or maybe you haven't been with us for a little while, um, we are in this year-long journey called Relevant as we are making our way into having a deeper understanding of God's story of redemption that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. In this past several weeks, we've been spending our time in Genesis, building this foundation, this beginning of God's story, and now we're moving in. The first 11 chapters of Genesis is all about the fall of humanity and how people keep turning their back on God, but God's still pursuing. God is still on his mission to save and redeem people, and he promises that he is going to do this through this family of Abraham, and then the rest of Genesis is all about Abraham's family of, of broken people becoming the vehicle of God's blessing to all people. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 32. We will get there in just a few minutes. And we're going to pick up the story of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And I love the story of Jacob because he may be the most messed up and broken and flawed of them all. And yet God still pursues him and uses him and changes his life. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm a sucker for redemption stories. I love stories. Of, I love movies of redemption. One of my all-time favorite movies that I have seen, I don't know, 50, 60 times is Hoosiers. I love Hoosiers. I, and when I was younger, I loved it because it dealt with basketball and it dealt with, with teamwork. And there was this underdog story of David versus Goliath that, that kind of wove its way through the story. But, but at its core, Hoosiers is not really a sports movie. It, it's actually a story of redemption. It's a story of, it starts asking, or we ask ourselves these questions, how can this ragtag team of high school players uh, actually succeed? Will they actually succeed? And there's this new coach that comes onto the scene, and he has this, this checkered past, and, and we're wondering if he can actually change, if he'll make good on this second chance that, that was given to him. And then there's this town drunk shooter who the, the coach names as his assistant on the bench, and you're wondering, Will he finally get sober? Will he finally change? Will he finally become the father that his son needs him to be? And as you're watching this story unfold and these characters that are all wounded and broken in different ways, and you find yourself not just cheering for the games that are on the court and the victories that are on the court, but you find yourself cheering more for the victories off the court, for the change to happen, for the redemption to happen, for the recovery that happens in the lives of these stories or in the lives of these characters. And, and Hoosiers and, and movies like that, they, they grip us and they resonate with us because one of the central questions that, that we all wrestle with is this question of, is change possible? Can, can people actually change? And a lot of times we ask that question externally. We, we ask, like, will our spouse change? Will a family member change? Will the, the coworker who drives me crazy, will he ever change? But really what we really want to know is can the man in the mirror change? Can I actually change? Because we know ourselves too well. We're all too familiar with our brokenness and our flaws, with the decisions of our past, with the relationships that we destroyed with our words or with our actions. We're all too familiar with our selfishness, with our greed, with our grudges, with our lust. And the longer those hang around in our lives and, and the older that you get, there's this fatigue that can kind of settle in 
and you're just kind of tired of yourself and, and, and you're tired of the mess that's deep down inside of you, the, the, the thoughts that keep coming around, the, the, the thought patterns that keep coming around, the, the anger that just doesn't seem to go away. And, and you desperately want to see some change in your life, but, but you're wondering if there's any hope for you. You're wondering if it's just too late because you just don't know how to make lasting change in your life. Well, if you ever struggle with those kinds of thoughts, then this is the story for you because it's a story of a deeply flawed man that God brings to a place of change in his life. And it's this hope-filled reminder for all of us that, that God uses broken people like you and like me as a part of his redemptive story. So let me get you introduced to this man, Jacob. Um, his name literally means schemer or deceiver, and that describes Jacob's life. He spends his whole life living that definition out. He, he's always manipulating the situation to, to try to get out on top, and, and he cheated, and he lied, and he stole from his brother and his dad. He is just a messed up guy, but that's not how the story ends. We actually see how the story ends in Hebrews chapter 11, in this great uh, chapter of faith. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Here's this man who, who finished well. Throughout his life, he struggled. Throughout his life, he, he failed over and over again. But in the end, the Bible defines his life by this word, faith. This is the story of failure to faith. And now, as we start this story, it's important for one thing for us to understand. But back in those days, the, the oldest son got what was called a birthright. And what that entitled the oldest son to is up to two-thirds of his father's wealth. And, and in this case in particular, it also allowed him to receive the blessing and the promise that God had given to their grandfather, Abraham. Jacob is a twin, but he was the second-born son. And so he came into the world grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. And so from the very beginning of his life, Jacob was trying to make this power move to get over his brother Esau. And, and that ended up defining a lot of what his and Esau's relationship looked like. And there was a time when, when Esau had been out hunting in the field. And when he came back, Jacob had made this nice big old pot of stew and Esau was starving. And so he asks Jacob for a bowl of stew and Jacob, realizing that he has the upper hand on his brother, says, I, I tell you what, I'll trade you a bowl of stew for your birthright. That's a pretty pricey bowl of stew, but, but Esau impulsively says, okay, I'm in. Well, a few years pass, and, and their dad, Isaac, is at the end of his life. And Isaac probably knows nothing of this deal that these teenage boys made with each other. And he wants to formally pass along the blessing and the inheritance to Esau. So he sends Esau out and he says, I'm going to do this over dinner. Esau, go out and kill us some wild, wild game and we're going to have a dinner and I'm going to bless you. But once Esau leaves, Jacob and his mom hatch this plan. Isaac is old at this point and he can't hardly see or hear. And so what they end up doing is they dress Jacob in Esau's clothes. And they actually put some like goat hair on his, on his arms and on his back to try to trick his dad. So he smells and he feels just like Esau. And somehow this scheme works. And Isaac passes along the blessing and the inheritance to Jacob. Well, you can imagine how this went over with Esau. He was none too happy. So when Esau comes back in and he realizes what his brother has done, he vows 
to kill Jacob. Well, Jacob and his mom hear about this, and he leaves town. And he ends up running, running away to his uncle's place. And, and Jacob, this swindler who'd been swindling his brother, now finds his match in his uncle Laban, who ends up swindling the swindler. And Laban tricks Jacob into uh, trading 20 years of his life in order to marry his daughter. And over time, Jacob has this large family, and he becomes super successful and super wealthy. And eventually, God comes back to him and says, hey, Jacob, it's time for a change. In in chapter 31, verse 3, he says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. This is this turning point in Jacob's life. He, He begins to trust God, and he gathers up his family and his possessions, and he starts this journey back home. But going home also means that he must face his brother Esau. Been gone for 20 years now, and so as he gets a little bit closer to home, Jacob sends some messengers out ahead of him with some gifts and this message to his brother and says, good news, Esau, your loving brother Jacob is finally coming back home. I hope you're well. I am looking forward to catching up soon. Maybe we can take a round of golf together. So the messengers come back, and Jacob says, well, how did it go? And they said, well, it turns out that your brother's looking forward to seeing you as well. And he has 400 armed men with him. So uh, it turns out that, that Esau hasn't quite let go of that grudge just yet. And Jacob is terrified once again. And this man, Jacob, who has spent his entire life scheming and conniving and getting whatever he, getting whatever he wants by whatever means necessary, is now faced with something that's beyond his control, this vengeful brother with an army of men, and he he can't lie or scheme or cheat his way out of it. And for the first time in his life, he goes to God in prayer. This is Jacob's life in front of God, and this is his first real prayer that we've seen from Jacob. It's found at the very beginning of Genesis 32. It says, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I, I love this prayer because we begin to, to see this heart change that's happening in the life of Jacob. Uh, every other time in his life, when, when he was faced with a problem or he was faced with an obstacle in his life, he either overcame it with some kind of, of deception or he just hightailed and ran away from the problem, but not this time. This time, Jacob takes his problem directly to God and he asks God for his help. He he rehearses the promises of God. Twice he holds up God's word and he says, remember God, you said that you would be with me. Remember, you said that you would prosper me. In other words, God, I'm gonna take you at your word. I'm not leaving, I am trusting you. And he begins to recognize God's blessing and he begins to focus on God's past faithfulness in his life. And for the first time, he sees that his wealth and his success in life was not due to his hard work. It wasn't due to his resourcefulness. It was because of God's kindness. It was because of God's intervention in his life. And he sees that his only way forward is if God acts on his behalf. He says, God, save me from Esau. 
He's praying for deliverance. He's praying for mercy because he knows what he deserves. He knows what he deserves by the way that he treated his brother, and so he's leaning into the mercy and the compassion of God. And as he's looking at the problem in front of him, he's also looking back and remembering the promises and the faithfulness and the kindness and the mercy of God. And that's the, the first step for us. If we want to see lasting change in our lives, it begins re- with remembering God's character. As you look at the gap between who you are, your, your current reality in life, and who it is that God wants you to become, what is it that is standing in the way of the change that needs to take place in your life? What, what is the, the Esau in your life? Maybe it's a strained relationship like Jacob was facing. Or maybe for you, it's more of, of an internal struggle of some kind, some, some past hurt that is holding you back. Or maybe it's crippling fear or, or anxiety as you look at the uncertainty of the future in front of you, or, or it's a habit, or it's an addiction of some kind that, that you just can't seem to shake. And sometimes when we are faced with our problems, we, get, we can get so overwhelmed with them, we're so disheartened by the fact that they've been hanging around for so long that, that we get stuck. We get paralyzed and we don't move forward or we just run away and, don't, and, and try not to deal with it. But if we want to experience freedom in our lives, if we actually want to experience some real and lasting change in our lives, that, that, then when we come up against those problems, those struggles in our lives, instead of being overwhelmed, we can follow this pattern of Jacob's prayer. And at first, and the first thing we do, we need to, to focus in on the character of God, the nature of God in our lives. And so we lift our heads up from just focusing in on the problem in front of us, and, and we look at the call that God has put in our lives. We remember and we focus in on the fact that God has a better plan for our lives, and we rehearse his promises, and we recall his past faithfulness in our lives. And in, during that time, we, we can be honest and we can be vulnerable and we can be real with God with our fears and our insecurities and our anxieties and our doubts. And so we go to him, knowing his character, and we call on him for his wisdom and his mercy so that he can help us overcome it. And as we do that, as we, as we remember and focus in on God's character, it gives us a proper perspective that, that frees us from just being paralyzed in the moment so that we can actually take some steps and move forward. Well, Jacob decides to, to send another wave of gifts to his brother, trying to butter him up, hoping that, that maybe he can change his heart in some way. And, so, and then he, he sends his family away, to, trying to keep them safe, and he sends them across the river. And now he's on the other side of the river alone. Tomorrow will be a day of reckoning with Esau. Tomorrow would be a day of either reconciliation or revenge. And Jacob is left alone in his thoughts. And in the darkness of night. And, and we come up to this remarkable event that takes place in his life. He has a wrestling match with God. It's found in verse 24. It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I love this scene because of what it teaches us about the personal nature of God. God could have moved on from Jacob. He had every right to move on from Jacob. He, he could have destroyed him for all, his, all of his deception over the years, but instead, God pursued him. 
He pursued Jacob, and he gave him a second chance to do what is right. And I find some significance in the fact that he chose to wrestle with him, to, to come close, to meet Jacob where he was, and to meet Jacob face to face. It is a very odd scene, though. I mean, this idea of wrestling with God. And I grew up watching way too much wrestling on TV when I was a kid. And so that, that, that's what I picture when I see Jacob wrestling with God, that, that Jacob tries every possible move. He comes off the top turnbuckle. He uses the atomic elbow. He does the pow driver, and nothing seems to work. And then God uses his patented finishing move, the, the hip flick. And he dislocates uh, Jacob's, Jacob's hip, and Jacob is crying out in pain. And perhaps because of the pain, or in the midst of the pain, Jacob cries out, and he once again grabs a hold in desperation of God and says, God, I will not let go until you bless me. In other words, God, I recognize that I need you right now. And that's the second step for us. If we want to see lasting change in our lives, then we need to be able to wrestle with God in prayer. That we need to be able to come to God with a persistence, with a, with a relentlessness to see something move in our lives. Here's something that we need to recognize about the nature of God. He's not afraid of our passion or our questions or our doubts that come in the darkness of waiting for change to take place in our lives. God would rather have you up close and wrestling with him than to have you distant and apathetic. He, he wants you to bring your problems, your real problems to him. He wants to engage you in a personal relationship and he wants to know if you will persist. He wants to know how badly you want this change to take place in your life. And so like Jacob, we, we come to God desperate and we say, God, God I, I need your help. I, I need your, your blessing in my life. I need you to move on my behalf. I, I'm resting completely in you. Because I, I know this marriage, this relationship, the, this, this circumstance, the, this habit in my life, it will not change unless you move. So if you're serious about letting God make some changes in your life, then you've got to learn what it means to hang on, to, to hold on, to, to persist. You, you've got to hold on until God blesses you. I think many people miss out on God doing a, a big work in their lives and to change some things in their lives because they give up too soon. They, they don't wrestle with him until daybreak. They, they give up the struggle and they throw up their hands and they say, you know what, it's, it's just not worth it. I'm not gonna change, they're not gonna change and they give up too soon and they give up on the relationship, they give up on the dream, they give up on the, the change that's taking place in their life and so Jacob, what we learn from Jacob is we have got to learn what it means to hold on and to persist and to wrestle with God. Well, the story continues in verse 27, it says, the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Such an odd question to ask. Like in the middle of this wrestling match, to, to just ask the question, now remind me, what's your name again? But, but God wasn't asking Jacob his name because God had forgotten it. He, God was bringing Jacob face to face with the real problem, the root problem in his life. It, you see, for Jacob, his name was also his confession. Jacob was saying, you know what? I'm Jacob, the schemer. And in one word, he described his life. In one word, he owned up to what caused so much destruction and so much pain and so much drama in his life. And it identified 
what actually needed to be rooted out of his heart and out of his life if he actually wanted to see some change take place. And that's the third step for us. If we want to have lasting change, then we need to be able to name the struggle. See, sometimes when, when you wrestle with God over some wanted change in your life, he, he will give you a new view of yourself. And sometimes it's tough to see the, this spotlight shining on some aspect of your life, and sometimes it's brutally honest. But it's one of the keys that God uses to change us, to, to lead us into who he designed us to be. You see, God loves you too much to let you just sit where you are. So sometimes he will come into your life and he will lead you to a place of confession. Jacob was named after his biggest weakness. Jacob was a schemer, a liar. I wonder if we were named after our biggest flaw. What, what would your name be? You see, my name is bitterness. My name is sharp tongue. My name is lust. My name is judgmental. My name is, is pride. When Jacob confessed to, to his scheming ways, God wasn't shocked. It wasn't like God didn't know these things about Jacob already. And the same thing for us. When we come to him and we name our struggle and we confess our struggle to him, God already knows everything about you. Even the stuff that you have hidden down deep, maybe some, even some stuff that you don't even know about yourself yet, and yet he still loves you. And, and that fact, that, that he knows the worst of you and he still loves you should free us to do this step of confession. And, and this step of confession, this step of, of naming the struggle, it, it's not for God's benefit, it's for ours. Because nothing really happens in our lives until we get out of, de until we get out, out of denial, until we can actually get to the place and say, that's the issue. That, that is the struggle that I have to overcome. But when you're honest with yourself, and when you are honest with God, there, there's this door that, that opens up that we can begin to experience freedom. And there's this chance to actually walk towards lasting change in our lives. Well, after Jacob confesses and owns up, owns up to his struggle, God's still not done with him. Because he's not going to let him just sit there and wallow in self-pity. He says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. I, I love this because God says, listen, I, I'm not going to let you just stay in the past. I, I have a plan for your future. And he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which can be understood as a fighter or prince. And it's this name that, you are, that you're familiar with that, that it gets assigned to the nation Israel as well. This is the guy that the nation of Israel is going to be named after. Jacob ends up having 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's just this amazing picture of redemption and grace that God uses this broken man to bless the world. And God says, I know your past. I know full well that, that you are a schemer, that you're a manipulator, that you've been that your whole life. But beneath all of that, I see someone that I can use. I, I see a fighter. I see a prince. Beneath your hangups, beneath your failures, beneath your sin is someone that I can use to be a part of my redemptive story. And so he tells Jacob, listen, everything about your past, that's no longer you. You have a new identity. Your identity is not your baggage. It's not your shame. 
It, it's not your, your failures, but your identity is, is that I'm going to use you to fight and to bring a part of my redemption to the world. God, God is calling him to now live out that identity, and that's the, the next step for us. If we're gonna see some changed life in our lives, then we need to embrace our new identity. God does his deepest work and most lasting work at the level of your identity and who you are and how you see yourself. Because the thing is, is that we all live out and we all act out of who we believe that we are. And so for lasting change to happen, you have to embrace not who you think you are or who you say you are, but who God says you are. So many times we're given labels in life. Maybe it came to you at a young age from your parents. Or maybe you have a label that the world has given you, or maybe you have given yourself a label with the thoughts that, that you think all the time. And God says, that's not true. I, I, I see behind those labels, and I see who I created you to be. And when God redeems us, when he saves us through Jesus, I, our past is wiped away. And, and we're told that we are now new creations that the old is gone and the new has come, and now we get to live out this new identity that, that says that, that we are forgiven, that, that we are, are sons and daughters of God, that, that we are righteous before God, that, that we have freedom in Christ, that we are unconditionally loved, that we are free from condemnation, that, that we are God's masterpiece created to do good works in this world. And real freedom happens when we are able to, to combat and let go of some of those old labels and we embrace these new identities, that, that I am who God says I am, even on my worst days. God pursued Jacob, not to destroy him, but to bless him and to give him a new identity. And some of you need to hear that this morning, that, that God is pursuing you, that he's not done with you yet, that, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose, that he has an identity for your life, and he wants to lead you toward it, that, that he's the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances. Your past does not disqualify you from God using you for his good. Lasting change happens when you don't just hear those words, but you allow it to go from your head to your heart, that you really embrace who God says you are, and you begin to live that out. And I love how this story ends in verses 30 and 31. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God, saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. For the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. God dislocated Jacob's hip, and he was telling him in, in, in doing that, that you are no longer going to be able to rely on your own self-strength. You're no longer going to be able to rely on your cleverness, on your resourcefulness, your, your, your manipulation. You're going to walk differently through life. You're going to have to depend on me and rely on me for strength. And with each painful step for the rest of his life, Jacob was reminded of the grace of God that entered his life, that, that broke him of his own self-reliance, and that gave him a second chance to accomplish what God created him to be. And here's the last key for us, that if we want to experience this kind of change in our lives as well, that we need to walk in humility and dependence. That, that if we want to see real lasting change and not just temporary, that we're going to have to walk differently through life. That, that, that people that, that actually see lasting change, 
They, they walk through life with a, this humble awareness of their weakness. Not that they live under condemnation or, or shame, but they know their tendencies. They, they know that, that temptation will continue to call on the, in their lives, and they, they need to make sure that they remain dependent on God's strength, that, that they won't fall back into some of those old patterns again. I love how the Apostle Paul embraced his limp. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, so, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn, I was given a limp in my flesh. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. But Paul recognized that, that the more that he remembered his limp, that the more that he remembered his weakness, that, that it kept him in this place of humble dependence before the Lord. And there's this kind of strength that comes in recognizing our weaknesses and recognizing that, that left to our own that we will fall, but we can have a reminder of the grace of God, that, that God is giving us a second chance, that he's using broken people like us, and it creates this greater dependence on his power because we want to be used by him. And we recognize that in the power of just our flesh that we will fail him, so we rely on his power to accomplish what he wants to in our lives. And as we remain humble and as we remain dependent on God, he will give us the staying power to actually see some lasting change in our lives. And I think that's important for us to know, that we are all works in progress, that we are all trying to stumble forward towards some lasting change in our lives. And I love this quote from John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. He said, I... I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That we recognize that God is calling us forward and that, that we are not what we used to be, that in the moment right now that we need God's grace to make some change in our lives. And as we walk in humility and as we walk in dependence, we will see that kind of change take root in our lives. I love the, the story of Jacob but because we see the redemption of his flaws and his brokenness. We, we see the, the steadfastness of God to not just give up, but, but to follow through and to pursue in his promises. In spite of the fallenness and the brokenness of man, God remains faithful. And we see his mercy and we see his grace and we see his compassion poured out. And it gives me hope because it, if God can use Jacob, then he can use me. And if God can change him, then maybe he can change me too. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Um, thank you for the reminder of who you are, of your goodness and your compassion and your pursuit of us, that, that you long to have a personal relationship with us and lead us to the life that you created us to live. God, give us the perspective to remember and to recall your goodness and your kindness and your blessing in our lives. Get, give us the, the persistence to hold on to you, to, to see some change in our lives. God's gonna require some persistence. God, give us the courage as you shine the spotlight on areas in our lives that need to change. Give us the courage to name it, to come before you, to, to confess it so that we can actually see it removed from our lives and then to receive your forgiveness to live out who you've called us to be. And God, we recognize that, that we are fallen and that we will limp through this life, 
but we pray that in our weakness that you will keep us humble and that you will keep us dependent on you. God, we do love you. We thank you for the work of the Spirit in our lives. We thank you for Jesus that makes this possible. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for coming out, everyone. Hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. Have a good one, guys.